2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and this morning we will address a second part of this particular portion of God's Word. So, if you would stand with me as we pray and ask God's blessing upon us, and then I'll address verses 6 through 13. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we ask for your blessing. We need it. We desire it. And Lord, we will be blessed by it. We ask, O oh Lord, that You would come and enlighten our minds and Lord, direct our hearts and affections in the commandments of Your Word. Lord, let us find a, a resting place there. Let us find satisfaction in what Your Word commands of us. Lord, where we fail, where we are slack, where we are, Lord, missing it, we pray, Lord, that You would by grace... Fill that in and help us, O oh Lord, live that happy life, Lord, where we are seeing the production of our own hands, where we can, by that production, bless Your name and bless others. Lord, come and bring great light to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 and following... Paul writes, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will, is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. I offer no title this morning to this sermon. I don't know what to call it. Maybe you will have a good idea of a title after you hear it. And if you do, let me know. The title of last week's sermon that's posted online for you if you are interested is uh, No Work, Period, No Eat, Period. And it has gotten a little bit of attention. Now, brothers and sisters... The first thing I want to do is explain the reason we need sermons like this one and the one last week. There's reasons we need to hear sermons like this. Now, the first reason that I want to bring to our attention is that we are to understand and believe that the Bible addresses aspects of life that the Bible addresses not just a general concept of religion that the Bible moves that it doesn't mean that the, there aren't portions of God's word that speaks in generalities there's lots of those but here we have a passage of scripture that moves from a general concept and perspective to a very particular laziness, idleness. Now, it's going to be a certain form of laziness. We're not talking about, when we talk about laziness, hardly we're ever speaking of inactivity. And that's not what Paul means here. When Paul is addressing this unruliness or this undisciplined lifestyle, he's not dealing with or he doesn't have a mind that this person is doing nothing. It's that they are active doing things they ought not to be doing. And they are neglecting things they should be doing. 
That's what Paul is meaning here. And we'll explore that a little bit more in a bit. We must see Scripture having the authority and the right to command particular aspects of our lives. It must be a conviction. We do not have the individual right to come to Scripture and to read a particular and reject it. To do that is to bring condemnation upon ourselves. It's to bring harm to ourselves. And it's to bring harm... It's to bring harm to those closest to us. Now let me just give you a a simple example. It's obvious from the text that those who would be considered as unruly and undisciplined are what we might call idlers. They're idle in things they ought to be doing. They're idle at putting their hands to things they should be doing. It's, it's, It's important to recognize that they are having an effect upon the body. You see that? And Paul says, do what? Paul says, I command you to withdraw from them. They act as an infectious part of the body. And we're going to look at this later. Where they would incite the body. That is, there's more going on than somebody just being the recipient of charity or unneeded charity. There's there's an infection taking place. There's an example happening. And Paul highlights that by saying, listen, look at the example I left you when we were there. There's another aspect of why sermons like this are needed. Not just that we ought to see Scripture dealing with the particular areas of life and this one here addressing um, idleness or undisciplined and unruliness. But there's another, uh, I think, uh, cultural reason. And that is we live that we are now in this generation of loafing. We have a whole generation of loafers. They're called millennials. And it has become a joke. It's a joke. I hear it all the time on the radio. I literally weekly, if not daily, hear con- uh, statements about the lack of effort given by millennials to understand, to work hard, to cultivate, to do anything. So I'm not, this is not just Pastor Stanfield's pet peeve. I, I, don't have a, I don't have a peeve about this. This is not something I talk about at home all the time. It's an application to the sermon that's particular. And it's a message to a culture that is in great need of change. I'll just give you a couple of things. There is great frustration. I hear it with employers. I hear it with business owners of can't, who cannot find laborers and workers on any craft. In any craft. Companies are complaining on the internet. You can read articles. Go home and search it. You'll find that I'm telling you the truth. There's articles after article, there's article after article on how lazy the millennial generation is and how difficult it is for businesses to employ them. That's something that our families ought to address, right? Our children, our young people in this congregation, right? Absolutely. There are even special commendations and research going on of how to stimulate this loafing group. In fact, uh, uh, somewhere in the UK, I believe, I, I didn't catch the place, a company, a very, very large company, is uh, exploring the idea of a four-day work week because they just can't get 
any productivity out of them for five days and they're missing so many days and so they're still paying them for five days work and they've shortened it to four and guess what the initial reaction is? It's wonderful and great and the productivity has increased. Now here's my question. How long will that last? Until they get what? Burdened. Overcome. I mean, it's a generation that seems to be overwhelmed by the smallest things. You mean I have to get up in the morning? You mean I have to commit to five days a week? You mean you, 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 these are obligations? I mean, that's, that's the mentality. And I know it, is, it really is. It's sadly comical, isn't it? The third aspect of this whole generation of loathing is the mindset that is very, very much a part of that culture. And I I think it's even in every generation, right? But it's that mindset of, I deserve the fruit without the labor. And we want to start at the top. We don't want to work our way up. We don't want to, I'm going to use the, the phrase, but you could apply it to any work. We don't want to dig ditches. We don't want to start at the bottom. We want the benefits of the CEOs. And the CEOs only there. He, the only, I hear this all the time. The only way the CEO is even successful is because me, little old me, is a part of his company and I'm making his living for him. That's the mentality. Therefore, I want a, portion of the, a bigger portion of the pie without the work. Now that mindset, I hope it's not... Listen, if you find it in yourself this morning, listen up. Listen up. I read to you out of Psalm 128. Happy is the person that eats his own bread. Now I'm not going to open that con- all that up here this morning, but I'm going to say this. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of blessing being missed out because people aren't learning to cultivate a, a character of diligence, a character of of dependability to labor and work and to be satisfied with what their own hands produce. There's a whole blessing of being missed out upon because God blesses the works of His children's hands so that they can step back and and be satisfied with the fruit thereof. But let me tell you something. Any fruit derived from things that you haven't labored and worked hard for is passing and fleeting and will not last and you will not be satisfied. Tell me if I'm wrong. It will never happen. Things that you benefit from that you hardly have any work for has the tendency of fleeting and being gone and in producing this mentality of I have a right to it. And we want to be careful of that. So that's a couple of reasons why sermons like this and portions of Scripture like the one we're looking at this morning is important. Now this morning I want to address three concepts out of the text of Scripture. Again, you'll need to go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to get the broader and bigger details of what I'm preaching this morning. not going to go over that here this morning. But there are three concepts that we need to make sure we get them right. They need to, we need to get them right. Okay? That, that what I'm telling you is there's no wiggle room here. Alright? This is not a, a Presbyterian thing. This is not a conservative thing. This is Scripture. This is Bible. This is Christian thing. This is the commandments of the Apostle Paul upon the people of God who believe and trust in Him. So what I want us to understand is that we need to embrace these concepts. Make sure we understand them so that we don't make some pretty big mistakes in our own lives. The first concept is that of tradition. Tradition and how it applies to the context. Look what Paul says in verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Paul here 
uses this word tradition, and if there is a word that is subject to misunderstanding in the text itself, it's that word. Tradition. It's easy for Presbyterians to to condemn the Catholic Church for her traditions that are not based upon the Word of God or the teaching of the Word of God. And so we may find ourselves able and willing to beat our chest a little bit and say, oh, we are against traditions. Well, first of all, the Christian church is not against traditions. Traditions are not in and of themselves wrong or bad or ungodly concepts. And in fact, we need to understand what Paul means here when he uses this word tradition. Now let me go ahead and give you the meaning that I think fits the context and then we'll open it up a little bit. When Paul talks about tradition, he means this. He means this pattern of diligence. The tradition that you received from us was this pattern, this model of labor, of diligence that uh, myself, uh, Silas, and Timothy set before you. You received it. We worked and labored among you. We acted in this fashion. We set a pattern of an example of what it is to be diligent before you. And therefore, Paul calls it a tradition. Now, traditions are typically those things that are applications of God's Word. They are not necessarily God's Word. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Notice what Paul says here when Paul, let's see, look down in your Bibles and look at verse 8. Or look at verse 7 and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, our pattern. Because you did not act, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you. So that you would follow our example. Paul here makes it clear. That is, a a tradition is an application of Scripture that might be useful and necessary at the moment. Some churches gather on Christmas Eve to praise the name of the Lord, to um, have a church service maybe more more openly um, acknowledging the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no commandment in Scripture that says meet on Christmas Eve, right? It's not a commandment. You're not sinning if you don't do it. But the tradition of some churches is that we do this And we do it because we see that it's useful to our body. There's a reason, there's a usefulness that we have in our congregation to excite, to interest, and to remind the people of the glory and the greatness of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now why is it a tradition? Because if they choose not to do it, it's not sinful. Do you follow that? If they choose not, okay, if they say, okay, we no longer see a usefulness for that. We have an excited body. We have a body that's very interested in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're fully uh, enveloped in that truth. And so there's no more need for that. We can move on to something else. It's not a sin to do it. And nobody in the church could say, oh, that, we believe that's sinful. We ought to do this. No, it's not a sin. Families have traditions that might be based upon Scripture, but not to do them are not sinful. Or to do them is not sinful, you see. Paul here exercises a liberty, and this is what I want to point out. Paul has the right, he calls it, a liberty to what? To their uh, payment. Paul says we, have a, we had a right to come and to be worthy of our hire. We had a right to you, to the funds and the, 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 the um, 
keeping of our lives and sustain us while we were there laboring in Christ, teaching you the gospel, helping, counseling you, dealing with your marriages, all of these various things, helping you with your children. Paul says, while we were with you, while we labored and worked in your midst, we had a right to be compensated. Paul had a liberty to do that. And Paul says, he chose to set aside that liberty, that right, to be a better example and good to them because they needed it. And why did they need it? Well, look, the Grecian culture was eaten up with laziness. The Grecian culture was a culture, by and large, based upon servants and pleasure. Okay? Servants and pleasure. It's easier to tell somebody else to do it. And they would spend the portion, the good portions of their time not working, not laboring, but lounging. Lounging. That is the Grecian mindset, the, the, the heaven, if you will. Let me describe it this way for you. The, the, the epitome of living is nothing, doing nothing. The epitome of, of living is, is being waited on. The epitome of living, the heaven of living, is pleasure. Is just having my senses overwhelmed constantly with pleasure, 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 pleasure. I don't know, does that sound familiar to you? Now let me remind you that culture really doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Now that was almost reduplicated in the South about 150 years ago. That had become very much a culture based upon slavery. And one of the popular writers of the day, historians of the day, after surveying the South and riding and touring much of the South wrote that he was afraid. This is the early 1800s. He wrote, he said, I'm afraid that we are growing up a nation of tyrants, unable to work for themselves. Now, so Paul does what? Paul exercises a liberty he has to forego a right the right was he'd be compensated for his labors. Let, let me show you. I mean, this is a biblical concept by and large. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. I'm not going to read the lengthiest, the, the lengthy portion of this. I want, you know, if you're interested in it, you'll go back and do it. But I want you to know he, he, what he's going to do is he's going to. He's preparing the 12 disciples for service. And notice what he says in verse 8. He says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. Now let me stop there. Everybody look at me. What Jesus is saying is, listen, He says this to His disciples. He says, look, I don't want you to, be, I don't want you to worry about taking a bunch of stuff with you as you go out healing and preaching the gospel. I want you, because the, the laborer is worthy of his hire, you're going to go out and you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to heal, heal the sick. And those who receive the gospel and those who want the gospel and those who receive healing are to compensate you. You've got to eat. You've got to have a place to sleep. You've got to have a place to bathe. You've got to have a place to refresh yourself. They're going to provide that for you. Look at what he goes on to say. For or a bag for your journey, or verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. And stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. 
Whoever does not receive you or heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. And I'm going to stop there. You can read it later. And here's what, Paul, here's what Jesus is telling His disciples. He says, listen, if they want to receive you, give them your blessing. They're going to take care of you. They're going to, that's what He means by receive you. They're going to feed you. They're going to take care of you. Hey, hey, Peter, you can stay at my house while you preach in this area. And then Chuck's like, oh, no, 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 Peter, you can stay at our house too. And we're going to feed you. And we're going to, in fact, we're going to give you some money on the journey along the way. And I've got some other friends that I've already reached out to. And they're going to take care of you because we want people to hear the gospel. But what happens to those who say, listen, I don't have time for this. I'm going to be burned for this. I, I don't, I'm not interested in it. Shake the dust off your feet and be accursed. Because he goes on in the text and he equates them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now let's look at another passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 5. So when Paul, when Paul says this, this is not a small matter. This is, this is more, this, this tradition, this pattern of discipline that Paul has set forth is a big deal. Interestingly enough, where is the culture, that Grecian culture, learning how to be disciplined and diligent and... Um, uh, mindful of their work from the church, from the mind and the heart and the of, of Christ and the apostles teaching them how to work, how to be a productive culture. Of First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So we see here that when Paul is dealing with work, he's not just dealing with digging ditches. That would be included. He's not just dealing with the white collar occupations. He's not, he's dealing with, it's not that, you know, you may have a concept where, you know, man's not really working unless he's sweating. That's not it. That's not it. That's not what Paul said. We're going to talk about this work here in a little bit. We're going to describe it, open it up a little bit. But right now, we're just dealing with what Paul is doing. He has set down a tradition of good works. He has laid aside. This is a big deal. He had a right to their compensation. And he says, I, in my liberty, I set it aside. Here Paul is exercising liberty and wisdom for who's good, brothers and sisters? Who's good? Theirs. Theirs. Notice what Paul says in the text. He reminds them. Paul's not shy to really let the truth speak. He's not shy at all. He says, listen. He says, um, verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day. Paul says, look, it was hard. Paul's not saying, I want to protect your feelings and minimize the situation. Paul says, no, we labored night and day. It was hard and difficult. It wasn't an easy thing to do. We had to write the compensation. We chose not to exercise that right. We chose in our liberty to forego that right so that you would be the beneficiaries of our hardship and sacrifices. And you see here that Paul is addressing the whole culture, but that culture that's doing what? Has now professing faith in Jesus Christ, has come and, and, and started a church. A church has blossomed and, and is, is growing and blooming, if you will, this gospel graces. But yet there were still some that was lagging behind in character, and they were idlers. They were sloughers. They were loafers, if you will. And Paul is addressing this portion of the church because he has to. He must in order to be a faithful apostle and then for them to be faithful Christians. What Paul is doing is he's willing to sacrifice. He's willing for a season to forego his right for their promotion of the greater good of the whole. Paul is willing to forego the easiness, if you will. Look, I want to dedicate myself to the preaching and teaching ministry of the gospel, but I'm going to choose not to do that here, and I'll suffer the hardship and the late nights and all the things that go along with it, because I think you need it. For the good of the whole. 
Now, brothers and sisters, Paul's laying down a pattern of tradition. This tradition, Paul is saying, what is he saying to us? Paul is saying, in this tradition, I hope I'm teaching you to do what? There may be times when you are obligated or you have a right to something, but what will you do with that right? You'll forego it. Not because you want to be labeled like the Apostle Paul. That's pride and that's arrogance. But because you see how it would benefit the greater good of the church. You're willing to sacrifice for a season. Not asking you to do it permanently. Paul didn't do it permanently. It was for a short period of time. Paul says, I'm willing to do this for this time to help you set a pattern of good works so that you might learn to do the same thing. Follow this tradition. Be mindful in wisdom. What's the best for the church? For me to do this or this? Now, who's Paul talking to? He's not talking to preachers here. He's talking to the body. The third aspect of this tradition is that you, that Paul commands them to oppose those who did not live according to it. Paul wishes that the church would lovingly and graciously do what? Keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition. Verse 11, we hear that some among you who are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. He says that such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Christ Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And Paul tells him, he says, listen, with this withdrawal is this, I'm no longer going to support you in your loafing. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says, don't support a brother or sister who's able-bodied, who's not working, who is choosing not to work, to be busy in other activities. Hey, maybe very religious activities. But they don't deserve the charity and support because they should be working with their own hands, as Paul says, leading a quiet life and eating their own bread. Paul is not advocating no charity. Paul is just saying, look, the, the ch- charity is a very narrow topic. And there are some who, who are the objects of charity. I'll give you one of them right now. True widows are, cha- are objects of charity that Paul deals with in Timothy. And Paul even gives rules to the church. He says, listen, who's a widow? Any woman that doesn't have has lost her husband? He goes, no. He says, let a widow meet these qualifications. And that's the person. And listen, there's one aspect of that widow that I want to just set out here. Because Paul makes clear. That the church has an obligation to help the widow who has what? Lived a faithful life. Who has sacrificed and served the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says she gets the help. Not the woman that lives in pleasure all her life. And then she is a widow and then she wants something done for her. Bells are going off, aren't they? Because see... Those mindsets are the, are, are, is the fruit of an uh, uh, idol culture. An idol culture who has developed this privileged mindset that they don't really deserve. And they should not become the burden upon the Christian church who has true objects of charity to address and deal with and true obligations to pay and to take care of versus those who ought to be doing something else with their energy and not wasting it by depending on others. Let's deal with this idea of busy being a busybody. Here, Paul is addressing a character defect. Why is it a character defect? Because more than likely, the person has become, or the person is either two things, either two things. One of these could be true, or both of them, I guess, in some degree. First of all, it could be that just the the person in the complete Grecian culture mindset has just trained himself or herself to just be an idol. I'm just going to, I'm about myself. And, And you can be about yourself when, all right, let's just say this. Here's a, here's a list of obligations for you. Do this, 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 and this. How many of us, or how many people do we know that would say, well, I'm not going to do that list. I'm going to do this list. 
These are your obligations. These are your duties. Well, if I don't want to do those, I'm going to do these. That's still the same. That's, that's being a busybody. Paul here uses, Paul makes up a word here. The Greek word that is under the English idea of being a busybody is this idea of being busy in all the wrong things. Being busy in all the wrong things. They're busy and they are working and they are laboring, but who really is the beneficiary? What is the real benefit of it? And that's a question, right? Because we're dealing and addressing what the corporate nature of the church. The connectivity we have to one another. To the body of Christ. Paul uses this play on words to certainly get their attention. And they are, he's addressing this mindset. Here's the idea. The idea is that they are very active and they labor and work at doing nothing. Not doing the things they ought to do. You know, again, you go back to this culture and mindset. Everybody's just overwhelmed with the smallest things. You know, we can spend all day surfing the internet, but we can't clean the house. Wash the car. I mean, we, we can't do the things we need to do, but we want to do other things. We don't want to do the things we should do. We want to do other things. And see, that's, that's, what, that's the mindset Paul is dealing with here. You know, we can be guilty of this. Look, there are numerous applications to this, and I want to be careful. I, I'm, I'm not here to just trounce on everybody. And must. But, but this, is, this is a big deal. There are things that need to be done and should be done for the sake of the greater good of the body that are not being done because we don't want to do those things. We want to do other things. And I'm going to say this, and I mean this in the sincerest, sweetest way. It's so easier, it's so easier to get caught up in the people in China, Sudan, and Africa who need our prayers, who need our support financially, and miss your house, your neighbor, and the people right down the road. We can get caught up in so many other activities, we neglect the greater good of the corporate body we are members of. And that's what Paul means. Paul means they forego what is required and do other things. It's a character defect because the other aspect that I didn't mention is that, well, Certainly this, this idea that Jesus was going to come soon could have been the motivation for a person that was already disposed to being a loafer to say, why should I work? Jesus is coming back. And we've had people like that even in modern Christianity, called, you know, dispensationalists who hold to this idea that Jesus could come back at any minute, therefore... We're not going to work. We're going to just prepare for Jesus' coming. Well, Paul would rebuke them. Scripture rebukes them. Their preacher ought to rebuke them. The preaching of the gospel should rebuke that kind of mentality. Because even under the guise of Jesus coming soon, Paul says, work diligently, lead a quiet life, and eat your own bread. Pay for your own meals. third idea here is that of weariness weariness i hope um i hope um if there's more about the busy being a busy body that you have questions about you can certainly ask but i want you to see this it's a it's an exposed character defect it can be corrected it should be corrected it ought to be and it's usually it's usually it stems from the the, the error uh, are overemphasizing the individual over the corporate body. We are individuals. We are individuals. Remember, Paul says, eat your bread. What is he, he, he is in that statement, what? Acknowledging your bread. I don't have a right to your bread. 
So there is an individualness that must be acknowledged. However, there's also a corporateness. Don't aid the one who can aid himself in neglecting to do the things they need to do. Rather, save that and aid the one who's truly in need and help and advance the gospel in that way. But teaching this person by withdrawing support. Listen, when you have a person that... that um, um, oh, Calvin, makes the cons, all right, look, Calvin makes the connection about monks who want to go seclude themselves off into the monasteries and chant all day long. The guy that's out there is working, the family that's working has to pay the money so they can live in the monasteries, provide for the monasteries so they can buy the seed and the food and all. You see, all they're going to do is chant all day long, live this, quote, religious life, be dedicated to God, doing nothing. And Calvin said, here's a direct application. That's sinful. Because they choose not to do anything and they want their brothers and sisters to pay for it. And you know, you have all these ministries, right? You know, I remember one time... um, listening to some youth that had come back from a mission trip to Hawaii. And, um, of course, there's always, it doesn't matter where it is, there's a, now this person's called to Hawaii and wants to be a missionary there and wants to this church to pay for it. Well, brothers and sisters, that goes on all over the church. When there's no true calling to that area, when there's no true gifts given that that person ought to be going to that area, and it's nothing more than that person wanting what they want and wanting somebody else to pay for it. I've done gone to meddling, hadn't I? I'm not saying there's not missions, but there's got to be a lot of wisdom displayed and exercised how the church spends her money and God's resources. Okay? There are missions. Paul was a missionary. He should have been provided for. And churches did provide for him. And there are people that are the the poor and destitute and the needy are objects of real charity. Not the persons being described in this passage of Scripture. Weariness, look down there at verse 13. But as for you, brethren... Now, Paul seems to be making a distinction between those who were not uh, busybodies now to those who were possibly those who were being called upon to support these busybodies. And he says, now for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. This idea of weariness is that of discouragement. Discouragement. What Paul is saying is, don't let yourselves be discouraged. Don't let yourselves become, don't be the discouraged person in the church. Don't give up your godly living because others aren't living godly. That's what Paul is saying. Do not forego your diligence and discipline because others are not doing it. That's what Paul means by that. And that's hard, isn't it? What's one thing we all struggle with when we don't see things going on in the church? Well, why should I do it? Nobody else is doing it. This is the verse that applies to us, right? Do not let yourselves grow weary, forego, get tired of doing, living a godly life because others aren't doing so. Now, what can I say about this in order to to help? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the Lord blesses those who do not grow weary. If you want to maintain a mindset of encouragement, the Lord will bless you mightily. But when you allow weariness to overcome you, you feel guilty. You know deep down you ought to be doing more. And there's nothing you can say about it other than the fact that you're not doing what you ought to do for the greater good of the church. Let me give you some examples. Learn to Malachi 1.13. It's a big deal in Scripture. Malachi 
Just as joy is contagious, weariness is contagious. I'm not going to read again the context. You can go back and read it. Malachi chapter 1, verse 13. This is the Lord speaking here. He says, you also say... Now, this is what the Lord says to them. This is what they say to the Lord. Oh, how tiresome it is. Now, that's their statement. These are the people people of God that says, oh, how tiresome it is. And then he says, and you disdainfully sniff at, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what is taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? Thus saith the Lord. Here's what he means in verse 13. Now get this. This This is convicting. When you bring by rock, rock, the Lord says, What you do, it's just too hard being a Christian. We want to do the least. I don't want to buy an animal that is of sound body. I'm just going to give the Lord this cheaper animal that's broken down. I know His Word says not to do it, but it's all grace. He'll take it. Because see, the Lord just just wants us to just to do something, and the Lord says, "This is how you approach me. I have given you life and life eternal. I have washed your hearts and your consciences. I have cleansed you, and this is how you want to worship me and serve me by bringing me things that don't cost you anything." Really? Is that what you want to do? That's what Paul's talking about. See, because if we allow ourselves to get weary and discouraged, we're going to start giving the Lord less and less and less and less. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Look at the blessing there. What is the Lord's promise here? The Lord's promise is, listen, Keep doing what you ought to do. And the Lord is going to come and refresh you when you need it. Wow. Let's close this message this morning with just one dramatic, epic statement. Christianity can save this nation. Turning to the Lord Jesus Christ can save our workforce. It can save our economy. It can save our church. Christianity in its unadulterated biblical teaching can teach us how to work and labor, how to have satisfaction and happiness in the things we put our hands to. The teaching of Christianity can teach us who to minister to, how to really help the poor and needy and destitute, how to really support the people that needed to be supported. Quit wasting our money our time and our effort focusing on things that we ought not to be focused on. Brothers and sisters, I hope in this you find a blessing. I hope in this you find a blessing. I hope in this you find encouragement. You may have found some conviction. You may have found some rebuke. You may have found some chastening and some, some correction. But I'm here to tell you the blessing is this. Turn into the Lord, repenting of your sins. There is, a, there is always a blessing ready and waiting for those who call upon the name of the Lord in the refreshment of heart. Listen, what 
advantage does the church have in a culture where there's laziness? A lot. Who's going to be hired? Who's going to be hired? Who's going to be the diligent? Who's going to be the guys that show up for work? Who's going to be the guys not complain doing what they're paid to do? It ought to be the Christians. Right? It ought to be the Christians. Don't think that won't have an impact upon any society, any culture, and any people. Let's pray. That it has shown us and teaches us. And we ask and pray, O oh Lord, you would continue to give us the thought to the, the the desire to mull this over and to think about it. Lord, where we would conform to the teaching of your word and find great blessing and comfort and joy. So, Father, we bless your name for Christ's sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we come now to the communion of the Lord's table. In this eating of the Lord's body and drinking the Lord's blood, we have communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in it, we are acknowledging that even that, listen, the energy and effort that any of us ever put forth to any labor and work is nothing apart from a blessing. All of us have done work that we didn't enjoy. That was hard, difficult, tiresome. I mean, just now we didn't want to do it. But when we labor in the name of Christ, there is an underlying satisfaction and joy that comes with that. Now, in the sermon this morning, I didn't address this mentality of male men working, females working. Maybe next week, let me know what you think about that, and I can address that to some degree. But we're talking about the mentality of diligence. The mentality of, of living a disciplined life. You know what discipline, you know what you did a disciplined life is? Doing the things you probably don't want to do, but you should do them and you should take the light in them. And what do you do? You pray and say, Lord, I'm going to put my hands to this work and I'm praying you give me the joy for it. I'm going to do the work, Lord, and I'm going to trust you for the joy. I'm going to trust you for the satisfaction. I'm going to trust you to give me the peace of my heart and conscience that I so desperately need, but I'm going to act in faith. I don't have it right now, but I'm going to do it, and I'm calling upon you in the expectation that you'll give it to me. And there's also another aspect of this. When you are laboring and working and you feel unappreciated, most often, that's not true. Just listen to me. I'm speaking sincerely to you. Most of the time around family and brethren, you're appreciated just nobody takes the time to say it. Remember that. Satan loves to discourage us by pointing out the faults of others. We need to say, what I'm doing is a blessing to God. And I truly believe in it. So let's labor in faith. Satan loves to point out the deficiencies of others. To use that to do what to you? Discourage you. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, you probably aren't going to get but a handful of thank yous all your life. Because I read to you from Scripture that the Lord blesses those who are diligent. The, the Lord's blessing will be to you. And there's nothing greater than that. Let's pray. Now, Father, take this bread and wine. Set it apart, Lord, where we would feast and commune upon our gracious Savior. Lord, we wish by faith to eat his body and to drink his blood and fellowship and commune with him, Lord, that we be in him and he in us because we need him. We want him. We desire him with our utmost 
inner being to fellowship with that we might cultivate and be what we ought to be in our Christian life and testimony. Father, feed us Christ and bless us with Him. In Jesus' name. He took the bread and he blessed it and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of him. Take and eat. in the name of the Lord our God, turning in our songbooks to hymn number 36 and being dismissed with a benediction. Hymn number 36.
Now, gracious Father, what a blessing it has been for us to be in your presence and to have you in our presence. Lord, that you would be in our midst and we would have your favor. Now, beloved, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide upon you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Ugh.